Hello Spectrumites and other people. My name is Forrest and welcome to the Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. The podcast for you to learn about the autism spectrum, learn what it's like for someone like me to live on the spectrum, and what marriage is like between two people on the spectrum. Hello everybody, this is the Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum, episode 61. This is going to be a little bit different for a couple of reasons. First off, the microphone has been switched to uh, surround mode rather than taking in the person's voice directly in front of it because I don't know any other way to do this and I have neither the tech nor the multiple microphones to do something a little more professional sounding. So hopefully this sounds good in the end and um, we're doing something a little bit different. This is part one of what will event, uh, what will ultimately be a two-part discussion, although depending on how long it goes all together, it might be two parts and then bonus content for the paid subscribers on my Substack. That's a good idea. So we'll see. And um, so what these next two episodes are going to be, they're going to be a little bit different. Um, oh, yes, with me is KG. I was actually going to introduce you later. Oh. Well, I'm like, I already spoke and you didn't. Excuse me, I'm here. Yes. I'm here and I want to be seen. No, I don't want to be seen, but I want to be known. Yes. <laughs> um, so the idea is that sometimes we can be, as spectrumites, as people on the autism spectrum, we can be so hyper fixated on certain things going on in our lives, such as interests and projects, that it can be easy to push other things to the back end when in fact it would be beneficial, even necessary, to pay more attention to them. And for the last, oh, I don't know, God knows how long, 10 months, about. Um, KG has been wanting to know certain thoughts I've had about the video game Yakuza 0, a game we played and beat nearly a year ago. I haven't talked much about it since we beat it, and usually when I finish something I enjoy, I still talk about it long afterwards. So what TF gives? <laughs> it, it's funny, too, because... Behind you, looming over you, are several books that I read over a decade ago that I still talk about to this day. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and I own them, and I love them. So I'm sitting over here being like, da frick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I could get away with just telling her it was simply fun, which is the truth. Uh-huh. But she wants to know, why did you have fun? Because telling her that it was fun is not enough. Nope. I need deets. Give me the deets. This is what I was talking about before when I said that we Spectrumites love to get into the nitty and gritty of the things we're passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for us to hear from someone that something was simply good. Or bad. Or bad. We typically love a good discussion like that. Mm-hmm. I know I do yes. about the things I love mm-hmm. and am passionate about. Mm-hmm. And typically, I have to, I'm the type of person that has to think about why I liked something or didn't like something. And I'll spend the work day the next day analyzing and pulling it apart. The funny thing is we just recently watched the extended edition of Return of the King. It took a three-year-long period. But I got KG through all six extended editions of the Middle Earth films, Peter Jackson's Not films. Not for a lack of trying on my end. This, this is true. <laughs> and I've seen, I've seen The Return of the King myself like 40 times. It's like my all-time favorite film. Mm-hmm. Not just my all-time favorite Middle Earth film. It is my all-time favorite film, period. 
And I still analyzed more of it and thought about it again while at work the very next day. Hang on, hang on. I, I was talking to my cousin the other day, and I told him that your favorite movie was Return of the King. And I said, yeah, it's his absolute number one favorite movie of all time. He's like, wow, it must be a really good movie then. It is a really good movie. You should watch it, like, right now. <laughs> Pay no attention to the fact that the first ten minutes of the film plays out like a horror movie. <laughs> What's he doing? Oh, he's choking his cousin out over a piece of jewelry <laughs> and calling him my love. <laughs> for kids. Yes. No, it's not. No, that movie's not necessarily for kids. I mean, I watched, you watched it when you were like, what? Oh, I, uh, I was nine. <laughs> I was like, well, about, he's older than you, so it's fine. Yeah. I was about nine, uh, when I, uh, or nine or 10 when I watched that movie for the first time. And, um, I, I don't regret seeing it that young either. Um, so KG wants more of these kinds of conversations in our in our life, in our marriage. So I thought it'd be fun to do something a little bit different for the next two episodes. We're going to be talking about the video game Yakuza 0. And before you hit the pause button... Or the X. Yeah, or the X and delete the episode off your queue, let me explain something to you. We understand that it's hard for you to get into these nerdy conversations that us Spectrumites get into. So at the beginning, we will explain exactly what Yakuza 0 is, what it's about, and then we will get into the deeper critiques of it. If the game interests you, or you start to feel like this might interest you in a way that you want to play it, then I recommend pausing it, not deleting the episode, <laughs> going and playing it, beating it, and then coming back and listening to the rest because you love us. <laughs> So for the next two episodes, that's what we're going to be talking about because when it comes to a Spectrumites, you cannot contain a discussion in one episode. Nope. And I like short lengths with my episodes. So we'll be starting off explaining what exactly it is, what it's about, so that you don't feel lost or turned off by the conversation. And considering how deep we love to go into these things, I can't promise that you won't ever get lost at some point, but we will try our best. Meaning, I will try my best, and KG will not. <laughs> In the end, it's supposed to accomplish two things. Kay will finally get that conversation she always wanted. Mm -hmm. And you'll get to hear what a nerdy conversation between two Spectrumites can sound like. More specifically, two married Spectrumites who've been doing this for too long. Think of it as a learning experience. Yep. Uh, you'll learn what kind of details we notice in something like this, what parts of it matter to us, and how we might even butt heads. And it's going to happen. <laughs> so if this is a bit too different to you as a regular listener, we understand. But ultimately, I decided to do this because it matters to us and it still speaks to our place on the autism spectrum. We really want you to listen. And I promise things will go back to a normal structure after the next two episodes. So that all being said, I have pulled up the synopsis on Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> uh, to walk through the characters, the, the setting, and eventually the plot. Well, why don't and I have to admit... Wikipedia does a pretty decent job of structuring this. So as I'm going through these sections, we'll share our thoughts as we go. Well, let's start off by saying Yakuza 0 was technically a, uh, the chronologically the first game in the Yakuza series. Mm -hmm. So you don't, so the story technically starts here. Right. In terms of the game. So you won't feel lost. Nothing has come before. No, nothing. However, I will say that the fact this game was a prequel um, and the way that it was um, writ uh, the written, the way it was written, 
Do I cut that or not? That's awful. Um, Bonus content. Yeah. Um, the way they had to write it, I feel the fact that it was a prequel was to its detriment. And I'll get into that. Oh, boy, I'll get into that. <laughs> well, technically, production-wise, I think it was, like, the fifth or sixth game released. I can't remember if Yakuza 5 came before or after this one. And by stating as such, you just buried it six feet under. It was at two. Now it's at six. What? <laughs> I'm so I'll get in. I'll get in. I'll get into it. I promise. <laughs> All of this will make sense. <laughs> so, the... oh, it's also by Sega, aka the same people who made Sonic the Hedgehog. If you can believe it. <laughs> yes. So I'll get into the characters and settings. Again, Wikipedia actually does a pretty good job dividing these sections because I think someone on Wikipedia felt like it needed to it's be divided in this way. It's a pretty story. It's pretty complex. So it actually starts by giving us a section about the characters and the settings before it even goes into the main plot. Good. That's what a good article, Wikipedia article should do. Mm-hmm. So Yakuza 0 itself takes place, and uh, when I'm... When I'm saying all this, I'm reading all this out loud from Wikipedia. Yeah. This is my source. Yeah. Yakuza 0 takes place in late 1988, during the bubble era of Japan, in which real estate and stock market prices were greatly inflated. The two central protagonists of the game are Kazuma Kiryu, a junior Tojo clan Yakuza in Kamurocho, who was forced out of the clan due to a murder accusation, and Goro Majima, a disgraced former Tojo clan Yakuza who works as a cabaret manager in Sotenbori to earn his way back into the clan. Both protagonists are drawn into a conflict surrounding the Empty Lot, a small piece of land in Kamurocho that the Tojo clan wishes to acquire for redevelopment of the area. At the center of the controversy is Makoto Mak Makimura, a psychogenetically induced blind woman who inherited ownership of the lot. Now, I actually should say, before we go any further, if you have any um, kids in the room, this game actually does deal with some adult, mature, mature, uh, themes. Some mature themes, adult subject matter that may or may not be... Um, appropriate for children to hear it's rated m for a reason yeah while we won't necessarily go too graphic into it a few plot elements do involve adult content so just to kind of give that heads up also, before you know before you reach the point in the episode where you hear something and go oh <laughs> just clutch your also just clutch how your did they describe her blindness psycho what psychogenetically induced blind woman um that's uh wikipedia's language not okay mine. <laughs> okay I thought it would, I thought technically it would be psychosomatic. I don't know. Anyway, continuing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Throughout the story, Kiryu and Majima are supported by several allies, and this is where things get dicey, <laughs> including Akira Nishikiyama. 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 We call him Nishiki for short. Kiryu's oath bro Kiryu's oath brother, Osamu Kashiwagi. Kashiwagi. Kash Kashiwagi, captain of the Kazuma family, Shintaro Kazuma patriarch of the Kazuma family, and a father figure to Kiryu and Nishiki. Tetsu Tachibana, my favorite character, president <laughs> of a real estate company who offers to shelter Kiryu from the wrath of the Tojo clan. Jun Oda, my least favorite character. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Not, no, that's not my least favorite character. My least favorite character is coming up. Uh, Jun Oda, Tachibana's... Jun. Jun Oda, Tachibana's right-hand man. Reina, a proprietor of the bar Serena and a friend of Nishikiyama, 
Wen Hai Li, a former assassin who owns a massage parlor in Sultanbori, because why not? Ta Takashi Nihara, acting second chairman of the Tojo clan, and Masaru Sara, a senior Tojo clan officer who runs a secret black, so a black ops organization within the clan. Got everything, got that, everybody? <laughs> this is one of my issues with the game, right here, before we even continue. It has too many characters and not enough for most of them to do. Try to defend it. I think there are plenty of characters. Can you defend I it? I think there. I think the characters are enough. Some of them are. Some of them are important characters later on, since this is a prequel. Right. Well, oh, so you mean they're important, just not in this story. If we take this story in a vacuum, they're actually not that important. They're just there because it's like, hi, I'm <laughs> in the originals. How many times did the Star Wars prequel trilogy do that? Or Lord of, or The Hobbit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just, it's a prequel thing. You just gotta roll with it. Okay. Just gotta roll with it. Okay. Just gotta roll with it. The primary antagonist of Yakuza 0 is the Dojima family. The absolute dumbest crime family <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. They should be flogged for how bad they are. I don't know. I One liked... of the greatest weaknesses in this game. And don't worry. I have positives about this game. <laughs> they're it's fun. Just, they're not. Okay. They're fun as like individual characters, but they're awful at just getting things done. I'll and give we'll, them that. We'll get there. Oh, they're awful at getting <laughs> things done. We'll get there. But Yakuza family within the Tojo clan, whose patriarch Sohei Dojima wishes to become the next clan patriarch and seize power. Under Dojima's command are his three lieutenants. Daisaku Kuze, Hiroki Awano, and Keiji Shibusawa, who assist in Dojima's plan by tracking down the Empty Lot's owner and taking out Kiryu and Majima, who oppose them. Other antagonists in- oh my god. <laughs> Other antagonists include- see, if you listeners are uh, having a hard time keeping track already, rest assured, I'm having a hard time <laughs> keeping track, and I played the game! Su Sukasa. Sukasa Sagawa, a high-ranking Omi alliance officer who supervises Majima in Sodenbori. Oh, yeah, that guy. Homer Nish Nishitani, a, a sadomasochistic Omi alliance officer who is attracted to Majima and often taunts him. Futoshi Shimano, Majima's former superior in the Toji Tojo clan and Sagawa's oath brother. And Lao Gui a Chinese assassin hired by Dojima to frame Kiryu in the Empty Lot murder. So we're not even to the synopsis, <laughs> and I have to ask, why? Nishitani was fun. No, I was talking about the fact that there are too many characters. Well, Nishitani helps with Majima's character development. Mm-hmm. And as they mentioned, Lao Gui um, is, the guy who's, is the guy behind the murder accusation. Mm-hmm. Before we even go any further, I have to, I have to point out the fact that um, despite the fact that it constantly teased us throughout the game that this would eventually happen, Kiryu and Majima never actually meet until a frickin' post-credits ending. But it was a great post-credits ending. It was, it was pure fan service, plain and simple. It never explains how these two know each other. It never... Um, it never... Uh... We'll, get, we'll get into that when we get to Kiwami, I promise. Okay, but in a vacuum. We have to, th we have to, we have to think of this <laughs> in a vacuum. But you can't, because this is the, this is the only so one. Much. This is the only one that I've played in the series, besides the fact that we're going through Ishin right now. 
Um, but Ishin's more stand. Ishin is more standalone than Zero. Yeah. Okay. But still, in a vacuum, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> it was cool though. They played the original theme from the first game and everything. Cool. That I'm sure that strokes your fan, <laughs> your fan mind. For me, as someone who um got into the this is why i when i introduce the lord of the rings to people this is why i don't tell them to start with the hobbit trilogy <laughs> because you just simply i gave can't. you a choice you can't yeah you can't start star wars with the prequel trilogy despite the fact that chronologically that makes sense i gave you a choice and i was like we can either start with zero or kawami and because you can play either one first and, it, and the story would still make sense and you're just like eh, let's start with zero that'll be a great idea so are you saying that <laughs> my choice my choice of game is what is why i'm ultimately where i'm at probably wise with this game probably I oh bet if we... i don't know I don't know. I challenge that. <laughs> I think once we play Kiwami, you'll you'll appreciate Zero more. Yeah, it's just the again. The problem is that Zero does not really work in a vacuum. You you think that it would because at the very least, it tells a it tells a complete story. It does with and a tidy with a tidy beginning, middle, and end. And technically, you don't have to have previous knowledge of the series in order to understand it. Right. Because this is the beginning. This but is again, but again, the problem is that like. If you consider the fact that it tells a tidy story with like with a clean beginning, middle, middle and end, it doesn't really have a sequel hook. Um, if you take the story on its own, um, Majima and Kiryu finally meeting each other in what is a, a, what was essentially a comical fan service nod at the very end feels out of place, forced, and and means absolutely nothing to the casual gamer. Maybe not to the casual gamer, but fans love it. Yes, the fans would love it. The casual gamer that I am right now, <laughs> it meant nothing to me. You were kind. Of, you were excited when it happened. In, I remember. In fact, uh, <laughs> in fact, I was, I was thinking they should have met halfway through the game or something. I get that the two of them are both embroiled in the main story in some way, and technically their actions affect mm -hmm. certain points of the story. They just don't know that their actions are affecting each other directly in some way. That's the fun part. That's fine. But it's like, for them to meet at some point, that was beyond just a fan service nod in the post-credits. If people even um, bother to wait long enough to sit through the credits, that it, it kind of does come off as a bit disappointing. See, it'd be too, they'd be too powerful if they met halfway through. Sure. The game would have the game would have been like half half a short. <laughs> I need you to understand, <laughs> listeners, before we get any further. KG is a cockeyed optimist, even when it comes to, um, you know, even when it comes to fiction. I think she likes Rings of Power more than I do. It was fun. Well, we're not here to talk about Rings of Power. We can talk about Rings of Power in another episode, <laughs> but here we're gonna talk about Yakuza Zero. Point is. Mm -hmm. they just, I think the game would have been shorter if they had met halfway through. I think it would have been cool if they met halfway through, but they didn't, and you have to, and we have to roll with that. Yeah, but I don't have to accept it. But we have to roll with it. I, I have to roll with it, but I don't have to accept it. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so the synopsis. This is the plot. I would have. Um, well, actually, no. I, I'll get to that later. Um, yeah, I'll get to that later. I hope you haven't been reading the critiques and praises on my script. Nope. Okay, good. Um, so this is the synopsis, and it's a long one. So do you want, do you want me to read it? No. Okay. 
Because <laughs> I I want to be able I want to read it so that I can stop at certain points. You okay. Know? And, okay. Um. So in December 1988, Yakuza Kazuma Kiryu is framed for murder in an empty lot in Kamurocho, Tokyo. As the empty lot is the last piece of land needing to be purchased before the Tojo clan can redevelop the area, it has become the target of Dojima family patriarch Sohei Dojima, believing believing obtaining it will grant him enough power and influence to become Tojo clan chairman. To protect his adoptive father, Shintaro Kazuma, from punishment, Kiryu leaves the Dojima family. Now, before we continue, I would like to point out the fact that when it's referring to the empty lot and the fact that they just need this, this is the last piece of land they need in order to fully redevelop the area. Um, For those of you who didn't play the game and are just finding out what this is, it's an alley. It's not even an alley. It's the dead end of an alley. Yeah, the dead end of an alley. It's literally... That's it. It's literally, imagine a tiny parking lot. Yeah, that's it. Like, if you were to look at it, it looks like nothing special. And That's I would also like to point part. I would also like to point out the fact that this entire story no matter how convoluted it gets revolves around um revolves around this little stupid piece of parking lot alley alley yeah it's more of an alley it's more alley than a parking lot but it's like a wide area where we my question is were we meant to laugh <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's more of a, a reflection of, of real estate. Because remember at the beginning of the, uh, when it was talked about characters and setting, it said that this, this is the bubble economy of Japan where real mm-hmm. estate was highly inflated. Mm-hmm. So I think this is kind of a acknowledgement slash commentary on just how even m- small pieces of real estate were considered like gold mines back in that, day, back in that time period. Okay. Well... Anyway, <laughs> all right, that was a that was a pretty decent defense. Good job. Yeah. Here's um six defense points. <laughs> it's like it's like um what was it? Markiplier show um distractible. Distra- distractible. Here, six defense points. Ching. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> Let's see who wins like enough points by the end of this discussion. Well, I'm <laughs> currently leading with six. Yes, and I'm currently leading with negative four <laughs> in your mind. <laughs> Kiryu meets real estate agent Tetsu Tachibana, my favorite character, who promises... <laughs> uh, you just say that every time his name pops up. By the way, I would also like to point out the fact that I, I've only read the first paragraph, and the second paragraph begins probably six or seven hours into the actual gameplay. Would you say that? Kiryu meets real estate agent Tetsu Tachibana. I guess it depends on how quickly you're playing. Yeah, if you don't do side content, it might be shorter. Yeah. But you almost always do the side content, because that's where the fun is. We'll get there. Oh, I have notes. <laughs> Kiryu meets real estate agent Tetsu Tachibana. Who Your pro- favorite character in the game. My favorite character. <laughs> who promises to clear his name in exchange for helping him acquire the empty lot before Dojima. After Kiryu and Junoda... Tachibana's right-hand man interfere with squatters related to the Dojima family. Dojima lieutenants Daisaku Kuze, Hiroki Awano, and Keiji Shibusawa demand Kiryu turn over Tachibana. Kiryu refuses, prompting the Dojima family to hunt him down. The worst crime family in the world. His oath brother Akira, Akira Nishiki cuts ties with Kiryu to keep each other safe. That was a great scene, by this the way. This was a pretty solid scene. I will just 
you know, say that. So, to give context, because we have to, um, basically, Nishiki takes uh, Kiryu out in the middle of the woods and (laughs) plans on shooting him because he would rather be the one who kills him than... um, and watch then, the Dojima family do and then, it. And then kill himself. Yeah, and then kill himself. Yeah, pretty dark stuff. What yeah. did I say about adult <laughs> content? That was a great scene. Um, yeah. That was such a good scene. Yeah. So well acted. Yeah, very well acted. Great scene. Is very careful with the dialogue. Doesn't mm-hmm. do too much. Mm-hmm. There's a lot done with um, just body language, facial expressions, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very Kiryu well done. And then just turns around and says, okay, do it, coward. Uh-huh, and right. Nishiki <laughs> can't bring himself to do it, and... What I thought was hilarious was that he drives away, leaving Kiryu without a car. No, and he somehow... Kiryu drives away, leaves Nishiki. Oh, oh leaves Nishiki without a car. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I thought that was funny. I, feel, I think Nishiki's too sad to realize that, though, mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. point. Tashibana tells Kiryu that the Empty Lot's owner is his estranged sister, Makoto Makimura, who inherited it from their grandfather and lives in Sotenbori, Osaka. Now... The paragraph really doesn't do this justice. When Tachibana tells Kiryu um, that the lot's owner is his sister, Makoto, at this point in the game, we've gone through enough of Majima's arc that he meets Makoto. Yeah. Because as the description, as the summary will probably explain later, but we have to kind of bring it up now, um, Majima is hired by his own boss that he wants to split ties with um, to hunt down Makoto and kill her. Well, he doesn't know it's her. That that, that's right. He doesn't know, like, yeah, he doesn't All know he that it was name. a her. Mm-hmm. And there was no internet. <laughs> right. Um, so when Tachibana tells Kiryu, you know, who his sister was, that was a plot twist. It was. And it was a well done, a well executed It was plot a plot twist, twist that it was a girl because Majima thought it was a guy because Makoto in Japanese can be either a girl's name or a boy's name, but it's more associated with a boy's. Mm-hmm. So, that's, right. so that's why the twist that it was a girl is so effective. Mm-hmm. Is the chair good? Yes. Are you good? Yes. In Sotenbori, ex-Yakuza, Goro Mashima is forced to run a cabaret club as punishment for his involvement in the uh, Yuno Siwa assassination in 1985. Ueno. Ueno. Ueno Siwa. Per the orders of his former patriarch, Futoshi Shimano, Mashima is under constant surveillance by Shimano's oath brother, Sukasa Sagawa, a member of the Omi Alliance, the Tojo clan's rivals. By the way, you all have homework. I, um, <laughs> I need you in the comments section of this Substack post to list the name of every character in this game and spell them all correctly. I'm sure you can do it without looking. <laughs> also, Majima's inter- introduction... A plus C, A plus introduction. That was great. Yeah. I'll give, the, uh, I'll give it credit. That was fantastic. Yeah. And I love the, I love the club itself. Yeah, I, I love the grand. Yeah, the grand. I, I love the club itself. Mm-hmm. I'm sad whenever they won't let you in, like <laughs> during certain parts of the game. Like you can walk up to the doors, but you can't walk in. It's your club, but you can't walk well, in. Well, it's not his club. It's... He's just managing it. That's true. Yeah, but it's really nice. It goes... Great setting, great music. It you know. uh, it just it's a, uh, it's meta commentary on the fact that Majima feels trapped in mm-hmm. his role. He can't even. He can't even enter his own, the club that he manages. Right, right. <laughs> I'm half kidding. Yeah, no, I know. Um, following a new order from Shimano, Saigawa offers Majima a chance to rejoin the Shimano family by assassinating Makoto, who suffers from psychogenic blindness. I thought it technically be psychosomatic, though. <laughs> it's just bothering you now. <laughs> you thought you knew. 
You thought you knew everything. Maybe, maybe that is the proper term, but I always call it psychosomatic. Well, someone out there knows. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> um, Majima finds Makoto under the protection of Wen Hai Li, a former assassin. Now, that was a cool dude. Yes. Cool that was dude. a good fight. We had to fight him twice. Yeah. Keep the first fight was, I think, the better one. Mm-hmm. The second one was a, oh, come on, let's just move on with the story. <laughs> right, but um, the first one was so tense because since Makoto's blind, she's in the room and, uh, let me see his name. Wen Hai Li. Wen Hai Li is like, uh, knows that why Majima is there. Mm-hmm. And so they're like circling each other, like throwing, silently throwing stuff and, and. Whoop, sorry. <laughs> so they're like circling each other. They're like squaring up. Um, when Haile throws, throws like a needle at, uh, Majima and Makoto doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's so like super tense until, um, until, uh, when Haile sends her away. <laughs> but that was like a great setup. Really got you in the mood for the fight. Yeah, absolutely. Although I have to point, point something out is the fact that when it comes to this game and we can be a little more forgiving, um, about it because it's a game, mm-hmm. but um the way that this game treats its story is much like the john wick movies yes where every single conflict no matter um how much it could have been handled differently needs to be handled with a fight yes (laughs) where it's like where it's like i am here to make a trade fight (laughs) i am here to uh, i'm here to say hi fight (laughs) i'm here to join your real estate company you must fight fight, this you must fight this guy yeah it's just it's always like there's always an excuse for a fight no matter what the plot is asking i mean the genre is technically a beat-em-up yes right so anyway moving on oh no okay moving on after Majima decides to protect Makoto, Lee suggests murdering a lookalike of Makoto to fool Sagawa. Decent plan, by the way. Within the, within the, within the scope of the story. Right. Though Majima rejects the idea, Shibusawa's assistant, Homer Nish, Nish, Nishitani, commits the deed in his place, hoping to attract Majima's attention. Let me see his name. Omare. Omare Nishitani. Suspecting the fraud, Sagawa sends his men to kill Majima and Makoto. Sagawa sets up a trap to kill Lee, then attempts to kill Majima and Makoto, but is stopped by Masaru Sera. You see the problem here? Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. You see the problem here? A lot of character names. <laughs> An ally of Kazuma, who takes Makoto away. Following a lengthy investigation, Majima and Sagawa confront Sarah at his headquarters and find that he turned Makoto over to Kiryu. Going back to Kiryu, Kiryu and Oda escort Makoto to Kamurocho, but are chased by Shibusawa's men. Oda, revealed to be a mole for Shibusawa, attempts to kill Kiryu and Makoto. Kiryu subdues him, and Oda explains that he and Tashibana were former Chinese gangsters in Japan. At that time, Makoto migrated to Japan to find her brother, but ran afoul of Oda, who sold her to a Korean gang where she was sexually abused. Oda discovered Makoto's yep. identity. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty dark stuff. That's why she's blind from mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah. Oda discovers Makoto's identity after Tachibana saw her on a documentary and feared his reprisal ever since. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's dumb. It's like Oda discovered Makoto's identity after Tachibana saw her on a documentary. I don't think it was a documentary. That he just so happened to watch. I don't think it was a silly documentary. Ju- I think it was a, a news story about... um. Chinese immigrants to Japan. 
You're having a laugh? Wikipedia never lies. It, news <laughs> stories can be considered documentaries. Okay. Okay. I really wish I would have just said that. I, I laughed out loud when I read this part earlier. Regretting his crimes, he allows Kiryu and And not to mention, doesn't he just tell him that in dialogue? He's like, I saw her on a documentary once, and I discovered it was her. <laughs> Maybe? I don't remember exactly the terms. If it was exactly termed that way, that was stupid. I don't think but it's if... stupid. Like, it's... What else are people supposed to do in the 80s? They didn't have the internet. No, I know, but... Uh, it's just... It, it feels like very random happenstance. Every, what about like every action movie ever where they turn on the news and it's breaking news about some sort of event happening? <laughs> yeah, because the script demands it. No, yes. yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's still not logical. Like, it's still not. Weirder it... things have happened, I always say. Cockeyed optimist. Mm -hmm. Kiryu meets Tachibana, who reveals that he knew that Makoto was looking for him. He also reveals that upon learning her inheritance of the empty lot, he turned to Kazuma, who helped him form his company to protect Makoto from... Makoto from Dojima, who also planned to annihilate the Kazuma family. With their interests coinciding, Kiryu and Tachibana flee, but Tachibana is captured by Dojima's assassin, Lao Gui, the true perpetrator of the empty lot murder. Tachibana is tortured to death by Kuze and his men, whom Kiryu and Nishiki defeat. Makoto discovers her brother's body and regains partial sight. This was the best scene in the game. It was really good. It was easily the best scene in the game. Uh, absolutely, like, emotional scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was great payoff. That was earned. Yes. We're almost done. <laughs> <sighs> Meanwhile... Majima learns that Shimano, Shimano sent the kill order so that Majima would be pressured to have Makoto willingly hand over the empty lot to Shimano. Majima finds Makoto in the empty lot, plotting revenge for Tachibana's death. Despite Majima's concerns, Makoto meets Dojima, offering the empty lot in exchange for the deaths of his lieutenants. Dojima declines and has her shot. Move. Sarah arrives and escorts Makoto to a hospital. Isn't Sarah, like, Majima's, like, no, 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 it's the guy in the white suit. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Bail Organa looking dude. The yeah. Bail Organa looking dude, yeah. However, Shibusawa finds Makoto and holds her captive on a ship. Kiryu and his family storm the ship and save Makoto, whilst Majima battles the Dojima family in the Tojo HQ, including Awano, who dies at Laogui's hands. Nishiki prevents Kiryu from killing Shibusawa, and both him and Kuze are handed over to the police. Majima defeats Laogui and prepares to kill Dojima, but is stopped by Sarah, who has ultimately acquired the deeds to the empty lot. He orders Majima to kill Shimano for his treachery, but upon confronting Shimano, Majima relents, wanting to learn the fate of his oath brother, Taiga Seijima. Seijima, yeah. Shimano terminates his dealings with the Omi Alliance and reinstates Majima into his family. In January 1989, Sarah becomes the Tojo clan captain and later third chairman, with Dojima languishing after the loss of his lieutenants. Kiryu rejoins the Dojima family under a new oath, hoping to find his own path as a Yakuza. Meanwhile, which means he learned nothing. <laughs> Meanwhile... That was his whole goal the entire game. I thought his whole goal was to, like, run as far away from Yakuza influence as possible. Yeah, because he, but he did want to go back in order to fulfill the promise he, and fulfill the promise he made to his adopted father. He wants to be a Yakuza like him. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. Meanwhile, Majima ad adopts a new persona, inspired by Lee, Nishita Nishitani, and Sagawa to empower himself. 
And I love how it's phrased that way. <laughs> it is. It is a way to empower himself. You'll understand more in Kiwami. Okay. And bids Sagawa farewell, who is later assassinated by the Omi Alliance for his failure to secure a deal with Shimano. Majima allows Makoto to live a peaceful life with her new boyfriend, and later encounters Kiryu for the first time in Kamurocho as credits roll. <laughs> to kind of pull from the Now Playing podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the entire... Exhausting summary of It makes the game. more sense when you play it. It does. And to be on and to be honest, there's even a lot here that it didn't mention. Yeah. A lot of the encounters that Kiryu had with different members of the of the Dojima family. Yeah. Um so... Like like the spite with Kuze in the sewers. <laughs> that was a great Kuze fight. is his name? Yeah. Okay, he's one of the worst parts of the game. No, I'll he's get, amazing. I'll get, he's fun. I'll get to that. Oh, I'll get to that. You fight him like five times. It's amazing. That's the problem. (laughs) You fight him like five times, and and at none of those five times does Kiryu kill um kill Kuze. Like not kill. Once is (laughs) once is uh, fine. Twice is okay, whatever. But third, fourth, and fifth time, no matter how much suffering Kuze has inflicted on Kiryu or other people throughout the game, that no, 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 no. It the is... first time was good because um, by the end, Kuze even, like, didn't he lose a finger or two? He lost a pinky. Yeah, he lost his pinky, like, during that fight, and everyone kind of rushes in and stops the fight. Okay, that one made sense. Second time letting Kuze live. Okay, whatever. I guess that makes sense. But third, fourth, and fifth time, it doesn't matter how... Um, it doesn't matter what your values are. It doesn't matter, like, that your, um, that your rule is no killing. It's as dumb as Obi-Wan leaving Vader behind alive for the second time. Whatever, whatever pain and suffering and murder Vader dishes out after that to anyone else is on him. And we, and we must reject him for it. I'm sorry. That's what... That's cutie. That's one of Kiryu's character traits. He doesn't kill people. I just no. This this was one that just annoyed me. If you can't, if Kiryu can't kill someone, if that is his like one rule or something like Batman, <laughs> then maybe don't write the game in such a way where the two of them face each other five times. Keep it to twice, and then don't do the other times. I think it's. I think they were going for like a rival in fight in terms of like fighting games. Okay, but still, it's like it slows down the story. It slows down the story. It ruins the pacing. It's like if you're going to fill the time uh, more in scenes like that, let's replace it with something that actually progresses the plot more, does something more meaningful. I don't think you can. Ar- I don't think you can argue this one. I just. I'm not a fan of that part. Okay. Of the fact that it's like. You have to fight this guy five times. The result is the same at the end of every time. And I'm shocked with, like, the kinds of, like, moves that you end up performing on this guy. Like, in five different fights, this doesn't kill the guy. Nope. Like Everybody in the Yakuza universe is practically indestructible. Yeah. That's the fun part. That's an issue that I have. It's one of those stories where everyone is indestructible until the script, uh, until the script says that they can't be. They're, they're indestructible during gameplay. They're not indestructible during cutscenes. Yes. Um, Usually it's the opposite. Right. <laughs> so, but, um, so, 
that, that what's funny is that that was actually one of my critiques i listed um so since we're already there let's get into some of the critiques and then follow it up with the praises okay okay and um, you did tell me the, the critiques list was short the critiques list is shorter shorter than the positives or the praises um and it i think it'll provoke some fun discussion which is nice okay but the fighting is a is a ton of fun most of the time but it does have the tendency to get a little repetitive especially when you're watching especially when you're watching the same combo moves happen over and over and over and over again you didn't try to do different combos you didn't even try to do the different heat moves It, it does kind of I, i'm now thinking back to moments throughout the game where you're like do this now do this you did the other thing instead you know um i've never actually been a huge fan of games where it's like the the key or the goal is to upgrade your moves or your skill sets as you go you're better at kind of like dis- figuring out what's best for you you know like yeah. what's best for you moving through it now i will say I am kind of easing into that uh, whole skill set thing uh, a lot better lately and can probably do better uh, with it when we continue playing Ishin because I've been making sure to keep my skill sets upgraded on PS4 Spider-Man. Well, good. Now you understand why it's important. Yes. It's, and it's fun. Well, that, yeah. It's supposed, it, it's supposed, you're supposed to feel accomplished when, you get, when you're able to upgrade yourself. <clears throat> you know, feel like you're getting stronger. Yeah, I, get, I think one of the issues is that, like, whenever you're doing those combo moves, it does, it plays the same clips over and over again. You didn't try to do any like, new ones! Which, you know, it's funny at first. I unlocked and then so just, many moves for you that you never like, used. It just, you know, the same clips over and over again. Because you didn't try to use different ones. magic. <laughs> well, that, and the game doesn't, the game, ha- make, make sure you don't do that. Because the more... The more you use the same the same move, the less damage it does. Come again? I told you that. The more you use the same move, the less damage it does over time. You, the game actively encourages you to to switch it up. I think people actually started to discover that something was off because I did read some uh, critic reviews where one of them was. Uh, Don't com- ever trust the game journalists. You were one we of them. We never trust the game journalists. Why? Well, I, I trust a few. Angry Joe. Okay, Angry Joe is fine, <laughs> but I'm talking about the ones that write for like game web gaming websites. Yeah, sure. Well, one of IGN, the, one of the of thing. one of the critiques. Oh, I don't like IGN. One of the critiques was um, that it felt like it felt like moves that should have been like that are supposed to be more powerful than others don't seem to inflict as much damage on the enemies as uh, they should, and maybe it's because they were overlooking that fact that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's like a <clears throat> a deep um, gameplay mechanic that every Yakuza fan knows. You're always you're supposed to do different moves, otherwise it won't do as much damage mm-hmm. if you keep using it. It's just, it's kind of like it's kind of similar with Devil May Cry, where that's that's another game that encourages you to do like really cool, awesome combos, but never do the same combo twice. Right. Because otherwise you'll get a otherwise you won't get as high a score. Right. Um, you want to know the good news, though? Did you learn that you learned from this experience and won't do that anymore? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but also, but also the literally the next two critiques on the list we already talked about. Okay. So we don't have to even like bring them up anymore necessarily. Well, what, what were they? 
There are too many characters to keep track of. While Kiryu and Majima are obviously connected to the main story in their own way, they never cross paths until the post credits ending, and it feels more like a cheap fan service gesture than a plot point with impact. Okay, what's we already the other, talked about that. What's the other one? It was frustrating that we fight one of the members of the Dojima family over and over again, <laughs> defeat, him each, defeat him each time, and Kiryu never kills him, which is what he should have done from the beginning. Otherwise, whatever suffering the member, um, I guess in this case, Kuze, Kuze. Whatever suffering Kuze inflicted on others would never have happened, compared to Obi-Wan letting Vader live a second time. Makes for frustrating storytelling. And it just slows everything down. Well, again, you didn't upgrade your moveset. It has nothing to do with upgrading the The moveset. fights would have gone faster. Oh. Yeah, I like, I remember um, when I was a lot younger, I played um, Knights of the Old Republic 2. Uh-huh. And I basically was playing through the game um doing the pure dark side journey as you where i was yes where i was made well that was my second playthrough my first playthrough was gray my second playthrough was dark side my third playthrough was light side purely got it unsurprising unsurprisingly if you're going the pure light side route you never become as powerful as you do (laughs) on the dark side route but like i had upgraded myself to the point in that game during the dark side journey where I was invincible, <laughs> where when I was on Malachor five at the very end in the Sith temple, um, I was going through room after room, just spraying force lighting everywhere and killing everyone instantly <laughs> um, to get to the final boss really, really fast. Mm. It was the, it was, it was so fast that I defeated the final boss so quickly, and when she begged for mercy, I'm like, no, die, because that's the dark side <laughs> response, and the game ended. Roll credits. Like, because I had beefed myself <laughs> beefed myself up to pretty much invincibility through the dark side, um, I, w- I basically just, like, completely winged the ending. A lot of the fights would have gone faster if you had, know- if you had remembered the gameplay mechanics. Just dodge. <laughs> dodge. Don't use the same combos and upgrade your stuff. We didn't even do any of the upgrades to help get you stronger and learn more moves for the fighting styles. You tried to tell I tried me. to say, hey, let's go do some side content. No, I want to finish this. <laughs> and I'm like, but, 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 but. Because there's like six other games in the series. We have to plow. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but half the fun is the side content in the games, not just the story. Mm. Besides, you have you can have the weird tonal dissonance of Tachibana is dead. Let's go to karaoke. <laughs> what? You can do that. You no, know, I know, but that's such tonal whiplash. I know that's the fun part. That's that's what makes it fun. I'm not gonna say that this is a critique of the game because it was pretty obvious that tonal whiplash was what they were going for at times. Yeah, but it's but. It's uh, it's pretty silly when uh, Kiryu is singing in uh, karaoke. Yeah. Do- doing karaoke. It's the actual voice actor doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Uh huh. Again, it's not a critique. Yeah. Because that's what the, that's what the game developers were going for. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening to part one of this discussion. We will be back next week for part two. Be sure to go to my Substack at thepancakeking.substack.com and subscribe for an article or a discussion every Saturday and a new podcast episode every Wednesday. See you guys next time.